Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of We're Talking Shift, the podcast where we talk shift. Because when we feel stuck, if it's time to level up, rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship shift, Basically, any kind of meaningful, effective change in our lives, the first thing that we have to shift is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I am really, really excited about today's topic because it is something that every single one of us has to do on more than one occasion, probably many times throughout our lives. And it turns out that although we usually have good intentions when we do this, we may be totally missing the mark. The thing that I'm talking about is apologizing. Now, there's a book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And some of you may have heard of it. If not, I highly suggest you get familiar with it. But I just recently discovered another book by Mr. Chapman and his co-author, Dr. Jennifer Thomas, called When Sorry Isn't Enough. And like The Five Love Languages, this book is about the different ways or languages that we use to express ourselves Only rather than understanding ways to effectively express our love for someone, this book is all about learning to apologize effectively. Just like there are languages of love, there are languages of apologizing. And guess what? Just like we don't all speak the same love language, it turns out we don't all speak the same apology language either. So if you've ever had to apologize to somebody for something that you did, but no matter what you said, they just didn't think you were sincere or or they refused to forgive you or your apology just fell on deaf ears. Well, you're going to want to hear this. I think it's going to clear a lot of things up for you. I know it has for me. So I am delighted to have Dr. Jennifer Thomas on with me today to talk to us about apology languages. As I stated earlier, uh, Dr. Jennifer is the co-author of When Sorry Isn't Enough, which was previously published as The Five Languages of Apology with Dr. Gary Chapman. She's one of only a handful of approved presenters for Gary Chapman's number one New York Times best-selling book series, The Five Love Languages. Jennifer has a PhD in clinical psychology and community psychology, as well as a BA in psychology and religion. Dr. Jennifer, welcome to We're Talking Shift. Lori, it's great to be with you today. It's really great to have you here. I was so excited when I came across this book. And I got to say, um, I I discovered that there's some things about this that I was totally unaware of. Um, now, my husband and I have been married for almost 36 years, and I've been a coach for 12. And I have to admit, um, yeah, I was like pleasantly surprised when when I was reading about how many different ways there are to basically say I'm sorry. And I became quite enlightened. So a lot of situations that were previously maybe a little puzzling suddenly made a lot more sense to me. Uh, so thank you for writing this, and I'm really excited to dive into it. Um Before we dive into the specifics uh, of each language, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about how you discovered them and then ended up co-authoring this gem of a book. Well, um, 
Many years ago, I moved to um, near Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and that's where Gary Chapman lives. So the story really starts with me having had a networking phone call with him. I just wanted to get to know him since I um, use the five love languages in my work with clients, and I had found it to be very helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So we had developed a bit of a friendship, and then I was married at the time, and sometime after the birth of our second child, we now actually have three kids, um, my husband and I had had sort of a, a disagreement before dinner one night. It was not anything huge. I've seen much worse disagreements in my own home, um, <laughs> but this, <laughs> this particular day I had made a mistake, and so um, to try to get things back on track, I just owned up to it, and I said, I'm sorry, and I thought we would we would move on from that. Um, But what I found was that um, it was too glib for Mm. my husband. And so it hadn't done the trick. I noticed that there was tension in the air and I'm thinking, you know, what's wrong with him? And so finally I asked him, um, what's the matter? And he said, well, I just wish you would apologize. And Uh if you can, yeah, if you can think yeah. of that moment, have you ever given an apology but had it totally ignored as if you didn't even say anything? Yeah. And so yeah. I wanted to have um, a, like a different strokes moment where you go, what you talking about, Willis? Right. Because <laughs> I did, um, you know, I had said the words, I'm sorry, uh-huh. uh, but they just went right over his head. And I normally I might have gotten frustrated about it but that night I actually got curious and so I said well you know I said I was sorry which is kind of a classic line anybody might (laughs) offer Um, and then I I asked him you know what was it that you wanted to hear instead and at this point I invite people to stop and think well what do you think he said Mm -hmm. Um, because the answer to that question is likely your apology language or one of your top languages right right so he knew right away he said oh I wanted you to say you were wrong Uh aha I said well that is true too so (laughs) I said I was wrong (laughs) and um you know I was just surprised by what a difference those three words made and how the rest of our evening went it was it was like water under the bridge at that point and he was able to move on and I thought, wow, like this guy didn't come with an instruction manual when I married him, (laughs) Uh, but I, I could kind of use this. Like this is a best practice that I don't want to forget. Yeah. Um, So I made a note of it. And at that time we had been volunteering as premarital mentors for a community group. And as it turned out, we had a training we were doing that very weekend. So we had a, you know, some fresh material, of our own real-life argument that we had had in a place where I had clearly failed, which, um, you know, it it Mm. happens. It wasn't all that unusual. But what we said to the group is something I've said a lot since that time, and that is you may know your partner's love language, but if you don't yet know what counted as a good apology in their family of origin or what they're looking for from you when you make a mistake – then you should get that nailed down in just the same way as you get their love language nailed down. Yes. Because the chances are, if you haven't had an argument yet, you will when on your wedding day. So make sure you <laughs> figure it out before then. 
<laughs> right. Yeah, it's going to come. It's not a matter of will it happen. It's going to happen at some point. It's going to be exactly. a disagreement or an argument. Yeah, right. somebody's going to make a mistake. Right. Yes, it's inevitable that we offend people. We put our foot in our mouth. Um, and this happens at work and at home. And so that's another parallel with the five love languages where they're useful certainly for our personal relationships, whether it's with our kids or our partners, but we can also take them to the workplace, which today is not in the office as much, but on the Zoom call, if you put your foot in your mouth um, and you tend to say, I'm sorry, like I do, be aware there are some limitations to that. Like, I'm sorry, is it, it doesn't mean that I'm taking responsibility for it. Like, I can be sorry that something bad happened to you, Right. Without owning it. And that's exactly um, the short shortcoming of it that my husband was objecting to. Yeah, I guess when you think of it, just saying I'm sorry is kind of an unfinished sentence. It's like, and right. <laughs> for <Right>. why? Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Way too general and it's too common. Um, And in fact, I've moved from saying I'm sorry kind of reflexively to teaching my kids um, to say something else first right off the bat. I say, why don't you say I apologize? And then you can follow it up with one of their apology languages after Mm -hmm. that. That's a good that's a good way to look at it. I like that. So. All right, so the five apology languages are are actually kind of interconnected with the five love languages. Is that fair to say? Yes, um, there's a certain place where they um, they overlap perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've touched on our first two apology languages, um, but backing up a little bit. So I took this idea to Gary Chapman after a few months of thinking it over and thinking, wow, I wonder if he's ever thought about how... Um, you know, we need a way to handle offenses just like we need a way to express our love. Mm-hmm. And so when I shared it with him, he said, wow, um, actually, I've never thought about this, but I can see how the two fit together. And we came to call the concept really together the two essentials for healthy relationships because, as he says, you've got to be able to handle the offenses that crop up or else your love tank isn't going to be able to stay full with the love languages. Yeah, so that makes so much sense. about them now, yeah, he's lecturing about both the idea I brought him and the work he had done um, in the past on his own about the five love languages. Okay. So I shared the idea, and I said, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to know what other things people are looking for in apologies. And so we agreed to do some research, and we asked hundreds of people, uh, just like I asked my husband, what were you waiting to hear? What counts as a real apology for you? Um, so really we're getting at those childhood scripts. We do think it goes back to what did your parent or parents expect to hear or what did your teachers expect to hear? And the challenge is that we all had different parents and teachers. Mm-hmm. And so we actually found that there were five different things that people wanted to hear. And we coined the term apology languages to summarize those five different ways of saying my bad. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into them. So like you said, there's five of them. Um, let's start with the first one and talk okay. about that. We'll break it down a little. Okay. All right. So the first um, 
two really have to, they're more past focused. They're dealing with the offense. So they are saying, I am sorry, um, which is expressing regret. And if you are going to do that, I encourage people to be very specific. Like you said, Lori, I'm sorry is not a complete sentence. It needs mm-hmm. some specifics and some details in order for our sincerity to come across to the other person. Mm-hmm. And then our second apology language is simply saying I was wrong. Um, and that has to do with accepting responsibility. Um, I feel like where saying I'm sorry is getting at our emotions and the heart when we say I'm wrong, it's more like we're moving to our head and we're saying, you know, as I reason it out, I think I really was wrong. I really made a wrong turn here or made a mistake. If I had it to do over again, I would do it differently because I took a wrong turn. And okay. it's also a little bit like the court system where if I say I was wrong, I'm I'm not going to argue with you and try to defend myself. I'm saying basically I submit a guilty plea. Uh huh. Okay. So, all right. So before we move on, so the first one basically expressing regret. Um, and and let's just I want to make sure we drive that home by about just saying I'm sorry because sometimes you know if you don't clarify what you're sorry for or about, right? I guess it people might think that you're just being insincere, right? Or you just want to get past and move on because you are uncomfortable. And yeah. right. So that's so it's really important that you um that you own it. Exactly, Lori. And so we want to give enough specifics that they know you're not just trying to um like get out of the doghouse. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to work in residential treatment with kids who um, were having trouble in their homes or in their school. And when those kids got in trouble, unfortunately, a lot of times what they were sorry about was that they were in trouble and they wanted their weekend pass as opposed to really being sorry for their actions and for the impact that that had on others. Okay, so it's more like, I'm sorry I got caught, not I'm sorry for what I did. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. <laughs> right. So, okay. So what would be like an example of a statement that would really be more appropriate in, in the way you say it, I'm sorry, when it comes to expressing regret? Okay. So with that one, you want to let them know that you understand emotionally the cost of what you've done. So I would say some things like, Um, I'm really sorry about this. I really regret what I did because I know it caused you frustration or it caused you to be concerned about me and whether I was going to make it there safely because, say, in a situation where you hadn't let someone know you were running late. Right. Um, And so acknowledging the inconvenience or the emotional toll that that took on the other person is really important. And you'll know you've succeeded if they don't end up, like, saying, but I was really worried, or but I was really this, or but I was really that. Just guess what they're going to say the cost was for them, and then name that you're really sorry um, about that. And try to use the word regret. I deeply regret Yeah. I um, caused you this specific inconvenience or bad feeling. Okay, I like it. Expressing and using the word regret. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. All right. Accepting responsibility is the second one. So um, let's talk about that for a minute because 
that is something that people don't always do when they might say they're sorry. They might even regret hurting your feelings, but they could do that without actually accepting any responsibility, right? Right. Yeah. So a good phrase to use to let people know you're really owning it is an unqualified, kind of a large statement like, I totally blew this. You almost can't go too big because um, as big as you get, they're going to nod their head and say yes if they really were upset by what you did. And so it's going to be healing for you to kind of go big or go home with this one. Mm -hmm. Really, you know you have blown it. Name that. Um, I remember one time I had a, a friend who was, I think, we were all like young parents with toddlers. These toddlers are now going off to college, which is crazy, um, you know, how quickly those 18 years have passed. But back yeah. when our kids were younger, um, she was still, kind of, I think, establishing her parenting pattern um, where I had chosen a model with, it was probably a little more strict than what she was on. And so I remember I was at a party and I was reminding my son to say his thank yous when he would get M&Ms that I was kind of doling out to him one after one. And I think, you know, she got tired of that. And so she told me later she thought I was too strict with him and that I should just give him a whole bunch of M&Ms and not made him say thank you every single time. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, it was some feedback I hadn't asked for and that wasn't really welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in hindsight, maybe she had a point, but it 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 was a really awkward scenario and she even kind of brought in a family member and mentioned she was like yeah my sister was with me and I asked her about what you were doing later and she agreed you shouldn't have made your son say thank you after every M&M so if you can imagine you know the flush sort of coming up my neck as Mm -hmm. I'm hearing Mm -hmm. her, her criticism but maybe even more painfully that the two of them had talked about me yeah um so I Something I'm, I want to add here is that we can't apologize if we don't feel we did anything wrong or if we would do it the same way if we had it to do over again. If yeah. those things are true, then what we need to do is have an ongoing dialogue. And so that's what I did is I invited her to talk with me about the situation some more. And um, because at that time we both went to the same church, I we took it sort of a spiritual route, like, why don't you pray about this? Why don't I pray about this? And then mm-hmm. we'll see if we can talk further. Um, and I was fortunate that um, she had gotten a new Bible by the time we talked again. And she said, um, Jen, I really, I see it differently now. Uh, something I read in this new Bible really jumped out at me that I had um, crossed your boundaries and in looking at it now, I just feel like I was a total doofus <laughs> to say that to you. Wow. <laughs> I hope that you can forgive me for this. And nice. that was something I had not expected to hear at all. But I bring it up as an example of how that was a really big apology, calling yourself a total doofus. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I... I found myself kind of nodding like, yeah, that, that about fits it. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. And it, it was a gift to me. I know, um, you know, there've been some other scenarios in more recent years where I haven't gotten an apology that 
I wanted and I might never get it. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's it's really nice and it feels good when we get an unqualified statement of I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. What about um, when I've seen this with some people I've known um, and I've seen it with some clients as well, where they manage, they have a habit or a pattern of apologizing, but then it's followed up with a but, like, well, you know, there's there's some sort of blame there. Like, you know, they're blaming the other per. They shift the blame to the other person, and then, you know, like it's well, if they, it's because they did this, or if they wouldn't have said that. So there's kind of like an excuse for the bad behavior, even though they're apologizing. So it it almost turns it into a bit of a an attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think but um, is the biggest apology mistake. And it really, what we say is it erases everything that came before. Yeah. And it lets you know what the person really thinks, uh, which is probably that they are not totally on the hook or that they want you to share the blame. I view blame as a hot potato. If you remember as kids, we played the hot potato game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that way now, even as adults, that we, we don't want to let that thing stay with us. It's burning hot and very uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, that's what makes it so refreshing when we hear someone use the words, I was wrong, and then they stop without any buts. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's really, that's really the mature thing to do, right? And And it's the way that we're going to promote, you know, the restoration of some harmony is if we, if we are mature enough to accept responsibility for our actions without having blame or excuses attached to it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the third one is making restitution. Let's talk about that. Is that a necessary part of apologizing? Um, Is there a time when verbal expressions just aren't enough? And and we need to ask somebody, you know, somehow to, to pay for their wrong behavior. Right. Yeah. So this one is about making amends, which was, um, it comes from like the AA 12 steps. It's an important mm-hmm. part of our journey of showing our sincerity. And you can view our five apology languages as five steps to a complete apology. Um, but the new thing that we're saying about apologies is that we should get ourselves kind of out of our own shoes and put ourselves in the shoes of the recipient. So if I want to know whether it's critical for me to make amends, I'll need to know what the recipient's apology language is. And if they're the kind of person who says, talk is cheap, I'll believe you're sincere when I see action, then mm-hmm. I know that, yes, you really want for there to be some restitution. And I want to show you in practical terms what that looks like. Um, it's important to offer them something of value, either some time or some money, um, to make up for what was lost through your mistake. Yeah. Um, and, and you may want to ask them, like, you can say, you know, what can I do to make this up to you? Or even make a suggestion. This is what happens in good customer service. They'll say, we want to give you a free appetizer since your meal was so late. Mm-hmm. Um, it, will that be sufficient? And so check in with the person to ask them, um, would that 
be helpful? And is there something else that you would want to hear me say or see me do? That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I like the example of being in a restaurant and yeah, they've somehow messed up your meal or it's late. And then as a part of their apology, they offer you something um, to make up for it. That's a, right. that's a really good example. Yeah. Thank you. I'll add here that this is where the five love languages are really helpful, too, because if it's a friendship and I want to make amends, I might be inclined to um, get the person some flowers. Um, and is that going to work? Well, it depends on whether their primary love language is gifts, because flowers are a gift. Mm-hmm. But if they don't value gifts as much as I do, then I would be wise to think about well, what is their main love language? And if it's, say, it's quality time, then um, I've actually seen gifts like flowers backfire where the person maybe feels like you're trying to buy them off. Mm-hmm. Or, um, I've seen, um, for some reason, it's usually been the angle of a husband who has trouble saying the words, I was wrong. And he'll bring home flowers to his wife almost in place of having to say the words. Yeah. And you know, the wife gets more angry, which is really sad because there's some beautiful flowers on the line here, but you don't want <laughs> right. to throw them in the trash. And right. so I'm like the flower rescuer. I'll say to the wife, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think he's like, he's showing through his words that he knows, um, you know, he what he up. does best, yeah. and he's, you know, but he hasn't quite gotten there with the words. So let's keep coaching him. And see if you can, in a way, translate what he is offering into the apology language that you wanted to receive. And so if you know the person wouldn't value gifts or might even misread them as something to kind of butter you up um, yep. or a bribe for you to drop the offense, <laughs> right. then give them their love language. And if I knew that your love language was quality time, then instead of giving you flowers, I might say, hey, would you like to spend a few hours together? And if so, um, what would you like to do? Would you like me to suggest a few things? We could go hiking. We could, Mm -hmm. um, you know, go sit by the lake or some other socially distant thing that we would do right now. Right, right. Perfect. Okay, let's move on to the next one, which is about repenting. Yes, so the fourth one is moving more um, away from the past towards the future. And so it's where we let the person know, I I want to repent for what I've done. Or if if you're not as comfortable with the religious tone of that, I also call this revising the plan or making changes. Okay. So here I'm focused down the road, and the question is, how can I prevent this hurt from happening again? What okay. am I willing to do to make changes? Okay. So, so a classic example might be I'm always running late. And so um, it may be that you've forgiven me last time for being late and you forgave me today for being late, but you you may not have enough patience to forgive me for this if I do it a third time. And so it can be helpful as part of my apology if I will say, um, this is a step I'm taking right now to prevent us from being in this situation. Again, for example, I'm going to go ahead and set an alarm, um, either a one-time, if it's a one-time event, or a recurring alarm to remind me 
about this important um, thing that I've promised to do. Okay, so so this is really about then if there's seems to be if there has been or seems to be developing a a pattern of some sort of a repeating uh, offending behavior, right? And so an apology is only going to go so far if this is behavior that seems to be something that you know is habitual and. So there's got to be a plan of of changing the behavior that accompanies the apology. Is that probably summing it up well? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Requesting forgiveness is the last one. This is a big one. So why is it important that we request to be forgiven as part of an apology? Uh, so let's talk about offenses first. We know it's inevitable we're going to step on other people's toes. And when that happens, it creates a, a small brick wall between us. But if those offenses aren't dealt with through apology, then we end up with a big wall. And um, we're not very happy in the relationship. Um, the p- other people who live with us may see the strain. And we're not going to be very productive. And that also applies to work teams. So... This question, um, it can be asked, will you please forgive me, which looks for an answer right on the spot, Mm -hmm. or you can make it a little less direct. It could be, I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me sometime. Um, And we do encourage people to give the other person some time and space to watch you, because if you violated their trust, um, they may need to see if you're going to change your behavior before they're willing to reestablish that. Mm. Hmm. Okay. So that ties in with the uh, the genuinely repenting or you know uh, committing to changing uh, your behavior with putting a plan in action. That's right. They're both kind of future focused for how we're going to get this thing back on track and opening the doorway to forgiveness. Although we we know that forgiveness is not guaranteed, but using the five apology languages, we found increases the chances that they will forgive you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a lot of people don't do this part? They don't ask for forgiveness because they're afraid that they may not get it? You know, it's interesting. I think that is part of it. Another part is that it's not in everybody's script. In fact, Gary Chapman told me that, Jen, this one was not on my radar screen. I I didn't even know people, like, do this today. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so um, you could just imagine if he was apologizing to a coworker um, who expected this, that he might kind of check it off and move on, and she might be left thinking, well, you know, he's like the relationship guy. Can't he do better? Uh-huh. Um, or, you know, I thought he was just getting warmed up to a good apology. Why did he stop in midstream? And that's another way in which it reminded me of the love languages because we want our efforts to hit the mark and count mm-hmm. and fill our love tank. Um, and when we're missing it with each other, our passion is to help people be aware of that. And that's why I'm I'm grateful that you're taking the time on your program today to talk about this important way in which we're missing it by not knowing each other's apology languages. Right. So, okay. So what about still on the subject of forgiveness? Um, 
how should one person respond if um, if they're just not able to immediately forgive? So somebody maybe is asking me, apologizing, asking me for forgiveness, but whatever you know, whatever the offense was, I'm like, you know, I'm just not there yet. I mean. Right. How should how should the person asking respond to it if the person they're requesting it from just isn't ready to forgive them yet? Right. That's a good question. And I think it's a common problem. Um, and I'll leave that off by saying I think a big reason we feel like uh, and, you know, give me a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons we're not ready to forgive is we haven't received very good apologies or Um, apologies that hit the mark for us. Um, So that's the first thing is um, being willing to talk about it. And hopefully this program today will give people the words to say, you know, I never really knew what I expected to hear in an apology, but but I've learned that my top two apology languages are this and such. And so is that something that you could maybe write out for me or say to me? Um, I think that would help me to be ready to forgive you in the future. Hmm. Okay. Why, um, why is it important to forgive ourselves too? If we, you know, I mean, a lot of times we can apologize in, you know, one or all of the languages and the person does forgive us, but we have trouble forgiving ourselves. I think there's a lot of people going around with a lot of guilt and lack of forgiveness for their own behavior. And so talk to us for a minute about why it's important to be able to forgive ourselves. Yeah, this is really key. I mean, if we could put all the shame and guilt that people carry around for decades in one um, container, you know, it would just be overwhelming. Um, and the sad thing is that often, even if the other people who were involved um, were aware of it or, um, you know, if we talked to them about it, they might have forgotten it long ago. And yet we can still beat ourselves up over it. And so that is something as a therapist that I help people with is this um, unburdening yourself of your guilt and Um, forgiving yourself and that ties in with spirituality for a lot of people right and that's very helpful in this process as well Mm -hmm. I really love the um, the way that you explain the difference between forgiveness and trust in the book can you talk about that for a minute and explain the difference to the listeners yeah so um, forgiveness is an it's really an if-then proposition that is if you're willing to turn away from what you did and accept responsibility and make some changes, then um, I will I will have the transaction of forgiveness with you. Um, and so it's really an amazing process. It's like um, if we were at a grocery store um, and you put your offense on the conveyor belt and I'm, I'm saying I know what the price of it is and I'm going to pay for it myself. That's really what forgiveness is, is to say, I'm not going to make you carry the cost of what you did. I'm going to carry the burden of it going forward, and I'm not going to keep throwing it up in your face. And from a Christian perspective, um, and also in the Jewish tradition, we'll sometimes hear, you know, God doesn't remember our sins. And that original Hebrew word really means God doesn't remind us of them, like doesn't throw them up in our face. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And then trust is more going back to the um, asking for forgiveness part. Trust is is a separate step where um, I may or may not trust you right at the moment I extend forgiveness, and or I might say I'm going to wait and forgive you after you've rebuilt some trust with me. So the two don't always go hand in hand. Um, trust is more about do I think you're a person of integrity? Do I think you'll do what you say you'll do? Or do I think you're going to hurt or disappoint me again? Right. Okay. So a person could be willing to forgive an offense or, or offenses, but it may take them a while to begin to trust the other person again. Right. Okay. Yeah. Just because you forgive doesn't mean you automatically regain uh, or are able to trust the other person again. They haven't regained your trust just because they've um, gotten your forgiveness. Okay, so that might take some time. Um, another, uh, what I call truth bomb that I loved was when you said in the book, uh, forgiveness is not a feeling, but a decision. And I found that to be really interesting because I'm sure you've heard it many times. I've heard it countless times by a lot of people. We we hear them say all the time that they just, um, they can't forgive. Uh, so a situation or, you know, or an event or, or whatever they can't forgive. So is, if forgiveness is a decision, it's really not a feeling, it's a decision, then really when they say they can't, what they're really saying then is they're choosing not to. Is that a, a fair statement? Yeah, it's true. It, it turns it from a, I can't to I won't. Yeah. So is it dangerous to forgive too easily? You know, I think it certainly can be. And so I've I've recognized people in our culture who I think are very well-intentioned, but I call them the forgiveness police now. Um, and they will remind people, but you have to forgive them. You've got to forgive them. And sometimes it's from a spiritual tradition that teaches that, or other times it's just a general view that unforgiveness is toxic and you don't want to carry that toxicity in your own body, um, they may say, you know, it's like drinking poison and expecting the hurtful person to suffer. Um, and so, you know, I think their heart is in the right place of not wanting me to drink poison. Um, but maybe the pendulum has swung too far and maybe in doing that we're invalidating some victims. Mm-hmm. And so that is an important conversation that Gary Chapman and I had because he was concerned about some stories he had heard of married women who were going back to husbands who had battered them. Mm -hmm. And the Bible was being used as a tool to justify that. And he said, wait a minute, I'm really concerned about this. Let me go back and read the original scriptures on this. And what he found was that the Bible said we need to forgive people. Um, But what was understood in that is that we need to forgive repentant people. And he could not find a single place where the Bible says that we must forgive an unrepentant person as well. Now, that's interesting. Right. And go ahead. uh, It's really different from what a lot of people have have taught 
um, I think with good intentions, but they've lacked a theological term of forbearance, which is what he brought to my attention, which is what we may mean when we talk about one-sided forgiveness or one-way forgiveness when the other person is not repentant. And forbearance means saying, I'm not going to carry bitterness or hatred, and I'm going to pray that they will change and repent. And I know in my own life I pray that they won't treat other people as badly as they've treated me or hurt anyone else in that way. Um, but it's it's different from saying I'm going to have the transaction where I'm going to accept the cost of what they've done and I'm not going to throw it up in their face. This is more um, praying that they'll they'll acknowledge the cost of what they've done and they'll change. And sometimes people will object from a, uh, from their reading of the Bible with things like, well, um, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do re- regarding the other people um, or the people who were crucifying him. And what we say is that's actually him modeling forgiveness. That, mm-hmm. um, they, he didn't say, you know, Father, forgive them right now or they have already been forgiven he was like you know i'm i'm releasing it to you and i recommend that they be forgiven and then there's a scene in the bible where those people do receive forgiveness but it, it's later on so he's forbearing we both yeah know. well and i think it's important to point out too that you can still forgive someone their their bad behavior especially if it's behavior that's been causing harm to yourself or others but that doesn't mean that you have to put yourself back in a position of being harmed by them in the future. So, you know, back to your point about maybe some wives that uh, have gone back to husbands that batter them. Um, they, it, I don't, I just feel like forgiving doesn't necessarily mean that you reconcile, <laughs> right? right? If they haven't changed, right? Yeah. Reconciliation is a different beast. Yeah. As yeah. Well. Yeah, because another thing you talk about in the book is um, uh, that uh, holding someone accountable for negative behavior is actually an act of love. So forgiving and and forgetting and letting somebody off the hook that's been behaving terribly, um, you know, you're not doing them any favors by not holding them accountable. Exactly. And an old theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, brought this up, and he said, this is cheap grace. This is not a valuable kind of a grace, and we don't want to cheapen grace. And so I invite people to look up what did Bonhoeffer mean by cheap grace if they are being like the forgiveness police or the um, the one who might be pushing someone to forgive before they're ready, because the most important thing is not to invalidate someone who has been hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the downsides of peace at any price? Like, you know, for people that just um, apologize with the, and accept an apology, um, it goes both ways um, without really they don't really accept it or and the apologizer maybe doesn't really give it in the right language. And really, it's just about, well, let's just get past it so we don't have to be in this uncomfortable position and they just want to get it over with. What is- right. So conflict avoidant people will be over apologizers sometimes or they'll accept an apology 
with their words, but in their heart they haven't really accepted it. And so I encourage people to make sure that they have integrity where um, – and that that word literally means that if you slice through something, you get the same thing all the way through. So it's not going to change in the future. I'm not going to come back and say, but you did this to me before um, or throw it up in their face because I wasn't really ready to forgive. And so I encourage people to be as slow as they need to be in terms of talking through how something has affected them, and um, don't extend forgiveness if you don't feel ready to. Yeah, yeah, because I have known people, too, um, that uh, they they claim to an, accept an apology, but then they actually, in their own way, continue to punish the offender in some way, you know, for the for the wrongdoing or for the mistake. So even though, you know, apparently they they make it seem like the relationship is intact and moving forward, but there's this there's a continual sort of punishment that comes. So it's like they they have accepted the apology, but they haven't forgiven. And so the fact that they haven't really forgiven um, allows them or makes them feel justified, I guess, um, in punishing, you know, through through bad behavior of their own or insults or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and some things are really, really hard to forgive. Like if someone has been cheated on, um, they may really want to... Um, restore the relationship, especially if there are children who would be hurt by the end of the relationship. Um, But to ask someone to forgive something that really strikes at the heart of your dignity and the heart of the relationship, it's a really big ask. Um, Going back to my grocery store example, that would not be a $10 purchase. That's like a $1,000 or Mm -hmm. $10,000 purchase that essentially you're saying, I've got this. I'm going to cover this for you. Right. And I'm not throwing it up in your face. Um, so that's something that really warrants thinking and talking about carefully and deciding, well, do we need to, do we have a good plan for how we can prevent this from happening or from me getting my, um, even my feelings hurt because I don't trust you right now. Like you can't mm-hmm. even flirt uh, mm-hmm. um, or have a wandering eye, you know, anything that's along the lines of the offense is going to be a trigger. Mm-hmm. Sure. What about the flip side? Um, and I, I had a I had a friend um, years ago who did this. Uh, she was somebody that apologized profusely, even about things that they're not really. She wasn't really responsible for, like, mm-hmm. and that and I, and it because then it makes you feel like you have to continually say like tend to their feelings like no 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 it's okay it's it feels like even though it's not probably a conscious intention of theirs but it feels like you're being manipulated when somebody is constantly apologizing for something that they're not really you know responsible for and then you have to respond it's awkward you know what I mean I know exactly what you mean and I'm sure your listeners can relate to it as well Um, and it it's difficult because maybe you're sort of white knuckling your way through the situation yourself and then if if what they're saying is kind of calling for you to tend to them you end up feeling like two fleas with no dog 
<laughs> both kind of want to have your feelings attended to. Um, and the over-apologizer isn't really helping the situation, but I do have an antidote. Um, what an apologizer can do instead of saying I'm sorry or whatever their reflexive thing that they say is, um, is often the word thank you can be replaced um, or can replace I'm sorry, some appreciation for how you're helping them or how you're enduring the difficult situation with them um, can can help. And I'll give an example. Okay. So um, my husband has had two unemployments during our marriage, and um, one of them was a, a really difficult time because we had a, a new baby and um, you know, just scary to not have a paycheck when you have a new little life entering the world. And I know, you know, that's something that pains me right now as we're watching so many people go through job uncertainty. Right. Um, and so at that time, I did not, um, I did not feel that he was responsible for his job loss. And so um, I was just trying to kind of suck it up and not pour out my fears and sadness to him. Things like we may need to move out of state and move away from family in order to find work. Um, but my husband feeling guilty about, you know, the burden it was putting on us would apologize. Like, Jen, I'm just so sorry that um, I can't find a job or we're in this situation. And I kind of laughed. I said, well, you know, I love an apology, but I'm actually going to decline this one. And mm-hmm. it would mean a lot to me if you would consider um, thanking me for the emotional support that you see. Um, like, you could thank me for my attitude if you think it's been um, helpful or encouraging to you. That would mean a lot. And so as I talk it over with you, I'm realizing, yeah, that kind of, it was to free me up from having to tend right. to his feelings. Uh, it was just going to be more clean if he was willing to just thank me and move on. That is such an interesting, different way to approach it. I love that because, yeah, sometimes, you know, depending on what the situation is, somebody that's apologizing profusely over and over, uh, you know, they're they're obviously feeling bad, but it's almost like the more that you join in with that and, and try to coddle, you know, and no, no, it's okay and all that, it seems like you just make the pity party worse. And that's right. Right. And so I love how you just turned that around and suggested that, yeah, you say, how about we look at it this way? Why don't what I would love is a thank you instead and just totally shift. You just totally shifted their whole mindset um, out of that out of that feeling sorry for yourself and feeling like you've, you know, disappointed everyone when, you know, the first time or the second time. Okay, and 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 you say it's okay. You know, we'll get through this together. I for you know, it, don't worry about it. It's not your fault. You do all that, but you could. But after a while, you gotta just like I can't do this anymore. You know, and so to turn it around like that is brilliant. Oh well, I I hope it'll help someone, and it ties in with the love languages because a thank you is it's words of affirmation. Yes, and so I'm probably um, you know revealing my cards that that's one of my top two love languages. It's also Gary Chapman's primary love language, just a little bit of trivia for you all. How interesting. Um, and I've actually I've shortened up this phrase as I've used it. Um, I, I'll, I'll now just remind him, I'd like gratitude for my attitude, and that's all I need. Love it. 
That is just wonderful. That's just really making me think about this too for just myself and my husband moving forward. And I know that his top is words of affirmation. Mine is acts of service. Mm. So just remembering to be aware of those things. And then yes, tying them in with the, the apology languages is just huge. I think it's just a huge, wonderful really amazing tool and resource to have to understand this when you're in well i mean we're all in relationship we're in relationship with somebody if we're human unless you live in a cave you know somehow you're relating to somebody somewhere it, whether it's a significant other or family members or co-workers you know whoever it is so these are just such important things to be aware of they're so helpful mm. well i hope that people will hear something that they can use um, this very day to um, either ask for what they need or offer some love or apology in a way that's really going to hit the mark. Yeah, I love that. And just simply like you said um, more than once, asking the other person, if you feel like the way you're apologizing is falling on deaf ears, just asking the other person you know, what, what can I say or what can I do, um, to, you know, to mend this, to, to get us back into a a place that feels right and comfortable, um, and honest for us. And just being willing to have that communication with somebody is so valuable. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's really key. You know, I believe that an essential part of our wellness is how healthy our relationships are. And I imagine you feel the same, you know, you devote time um, on the air here to talk about health and and wellness and um, those important shifts that we make in our life um, in order to be healthy. And relationships are such a big part of that. You know, if if we're happy at home, um, chances are as we go out in the world that we're going to have a better time being relaxed and showing love to others. No, I absolutely agree a hundred percent. The life to me, it's all about, it's all about the health of everything. So that is the health of our bodies, our minds, our spirits, and it's about the health of our relationships too. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's fundamental. Um, I love it. So before I let you go, um, Dr. Jen, do you happen to have a going rogue story that you might quickly be able to share with us, you know, about maybe a a time when you went rogue, you kind of bucked the status quo or you did something kind of unprecedented or, you know, radical by, by your standards or your situation. And you, you, yeah, you went kind of, maybe other people thought it was a little crazy, but you did it anyway. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, I go rogue with some regularity, so I'll have to just pick one. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember that when I got into my doctoral program that I had only been there a few months when I figured out that um, among my class that most people were planning to go the scientist, faculty, heavy research route, um, but that we also could focus more on becoming what they call a clinician which is sort of getting through the research and writing a dissertation, but then going into private practice. And I had gone in thinking that, you know, it was 50-50. People could make whatever decision they wanted when they finished. Um, but I quickly learned, no, it's kind of the message was we don't do that here. We are building faculty members. Hmm. And so once I figured that out, I had to decide, okay, am I – is this going to change my course? And the answer was no. And then I just had to navigate, well, am I going to make it public? 
that I have a different aspiration for myself and for my work-life balance going forward. I didn't want to be tenure track and have the whole publish or perish thing right when I was going to be starting my family. Um, Maybe I could have done it before or after that, but it wasn't going to be good timing for me. Um, And so I ended up having kind of a quiet rogue thing where I took – I met the expectations of my program, and then I took the liberty of making my own choice as far as what I did after I graduated. Mm. So even though it was a choice that was uncommon in that situation, and you were really being more encouraged to go another way, you decided that you were going to go the opposite way and do your own thing, and you did, and it seems like it's turned out pretty well for you. That's it. Yes, it's been an interesting journey, and I I never knew I would end up being an author, and yet I find that I really enjoy talking with um, corporate groups or um, community groups about relationship things and how to have the most effective team. Well, I'm so glad that you took the course that you did because I love the work that you're putting out here. I think it's really, really valuable for people. And I'm so grateful that you spent some time with us today. Dr. Jen, where can people find out more about you and your books and services? I have a website. And on that, there's a pop-up for my monthly e-newsletter in which I send out some practical relationship advice. My website is drjenthomas.com. So it's D like dog, R like red, J-E-N-T-H-O-M-A-S dot com. And I have a blog there as well. And I invite people to make comments or post questions. And I'll check back in and answer them. Awesome. Well, I will also post your website in the show notes here. So it'll be on the on the uh, podcast platform. So people will be able to see it there as well. Well, this has been wonderful. I'm so delighted that uh, I got to get you on here talking about this today. And I hope that you will consider coming back sometime in the future. Sounds great. Thank you, Lori. Okay, that was awesome. I really, really encourage you guys to get this book. It is so enlightening. I think you'll be really surprised by it. Uh, If you have relationships with any other human beings, as most of us do, chances are pretty good that at some point in time, a situation is going to arise that requires you to apologize or vice versa. So the more you understand the apology languages, the more easily things can be mended and harmony can be restored. So go ahead and pick up a copy of When Sorry Isn't Enough. I guarantee you relate to many of the examples in the book and be able to see where you might be able to make a few adjustments in the way that you say you're sorry, as well as the way you receive an apology from someone else. So I just think that we all owe it to ourselves and our significant others, especially uh, to get very familiar with this. It can really be a game changer in your relationship. So please remember to share this episode with all of those that you care about so that they can find out how to make some healthy relationships in their lives, too. And don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. I will be most appreciative until next week. Stay feisty, my friends. Stay healthy and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. That goes for you too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.